Album Club 500. I'm your favorite odd non-prime 27. And I am the chairman of the board, Jacob Schatz. Yes, you are. Uh, this is a <laughs> podcast where we'll be talking about and reviewing the Rolling Stones Top 500 Albums of All Time list. Uh, tell us something about that list, Roger. Jake. It's cool. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Let, let's edit that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we'll fix it in post. Everything All is right. better in post. <laughs> we might not actually edit that part. Uh, enjoy. <laughs> meta already. We're, we're two minutes, we're 39 seconds into this podcast and we're already getting meta. The Rolling Stone magazine's top 500 album list was curated originally in, I think it was 2009, and then the list got revamped in 2012. Rolling Stone talked to a bunch of people in the music industry, artists, producers, reviewers, a whole mix of people who had their livelihoods built on popular music. They aggregated their opinions on some of the most popular albums of all time and came up with 500 of the best or most influential. It's a little bit nebulous as to what the quality they're measuring on this is. But in general, if an album is higher on the list, it means that it influenced more people in their jobs in the music industry. Yeah, and I think, like, it's like, um, this is all, it's about, like, notability, right, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So anything that influenced the Western music canon, mostly rock, a lot of pop, uh, there's also hip-hop and blues and R&B and a few jazz hits in here, but anything that made someone change the way that they looked at or worked with music. Exactly. So we're going to be doing two of these albums a week, and at the end of the episode we'll tell you what we're doing next week so you can listen along. Uh, hopefully, eventually, we'll get through the whole damn thing. This week we're doing Outkast's 1998 album, Aquemini, and B.B. King's 1971 Live at Cook County Jail. First we'll be talking about Aquemini. So, Jake, tell us about your personal history with hip-hop, because you're pretty new to it, as I understand. I am I am extremely new to it. I really only started listening to hip-hop in earnest mostly this year, 2016. Mostly thanks to me, actually, now that I think about it. Yes, you, you expanded my horizons a lot because I came to you because I knew that you would have the expertise to figure out not only what would enrich me as a person with regards <laughs> to hip-hop, but also stuff that would keep me around long enough because it was a new genre for right. me. And, and you say expert, but <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'm also fairly new to hip-hop, as in like I've listened to it for maybe six years, I think, which is a lot more than him, but there's going to be stuff on this list that I haven't heard. Just saying. <laughs> don't don't think I'm right. a, a an aficionado. Like, we're definitely not experts yeah. in any of this. We are two clowns. With yeah, mics. And, and there's going to be a lot of albums on this list that we don't know because we're doing this partially to learn for ourselves. Like we're going to be listening to a lot of stuff we wouldn't normally listen to, uh, including even some of the hip hop stuff. I probably wouldn't have got to otherwise. So you're you're new to hip hop. I've been in it for a while. As far as southern hip hop, we're both very very green on that yeah yeah pretty green i've listened to mostly east and west mm. because as soon as i got into hip-hop mostly through hamilton <laughs> because i'm a nerd yeah. like that I'm, I'm a theater nerd so that's that's my entry point for most things is uh cast mm. albums i i went and listened to biggie and tupac to get both sides yes. of that and then wu-tang 
and Dell, the funky homo sapien, off of a little bit of my experience from having listened to Gorillaz beforehand. Right. So I got I got into Dell and then Dell's crew hieroglyphics, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's really where I spent most of my time is just finding and listening to a bunch of those albums because I loved it. Yeah, I actually started weirdly enough with like indie stuff like Dell, Cool Keith. I got into like ninety stuff like a tribe called Quest. And then after that, I started listening to that old, like, early 90s, like, East versus West stuff. As far as Southern hip-hop, which is what we're talking about today, all I know is pretty much Outkast, Killer Mike, and this newer rapper named Big Crit, who's amazing. He's not on this list. And Frogger, you only know Outkast. Yes, I only knew Outkast, and up until this album, I only knew Hey Ya. Yeah, which I thought was impressive, because they have several hits, actually, like Miss Jackson, So Fresh, So Clean. Ain't no thing, but a chicken wing from their first album. Which I had heard the phrase for, but I hadn't I hadn't heard the track, <laughs> so it doesn't count. Exactly. So this is Outkast's third album from 1998. Uh, their first two albums, you have Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, which is, uh, it was like Southern hip-hop becoming a thing. The South had something to say, and they were hard and gangsta. Right, it, it's sort of trying to find the South's position, but within the typical hip-hop canon of the time at that point. Yeah, and it was at the height of East versus West, so they were trying to get taken seriously, and they were trying to become a thing, establishing the Southern vibe of hip-hop, along with the Dungeon family, which a lot of those rappers will be featured on this album. They, yeah, they really did it. (laughs) Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music was a pretty well-respected album at the time, uh, and it still is. I haven't got like fully into my, into it myself because it's a lot to take in. Like I've listened to it and it's like it's a lot of words. <laughs> you thought yeah. this album had a lot of words. Yeah, it's it's that times many. Right, cuz Andre 3000 Outcast is Andre 3000 and Big Boy, which are they make an amazing duo just because of how different they are in their styles. Andre is very much more dense lyrics both in complexity and in physicality, just the, the yeah. timing. Words and, per and, second. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Big Boy is a little bit more traditional, but he kind of grounds the whole production, both on this album and all of their stuff that I've heard. Yeah, So the, and then their second album, AT Aliens, really, really like established them as being an individualistic, unique group with weird ideas about hip-hop and what hip-hop is. And that received some backlash. <laughs> Because uh, Andre 3000 is a very individualistic, he has like a unique vision for his art, and um, that didn't really fly back then. (laughs) Yeah, it turns out when you do experimental stuff and really don't compromise on making it unique and really, really out there. There's some stuff where we can say, oh, this is unique and you're trying a new sound. AT Aliens, as I understand it, was just super out there in its subject matter. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think if it were released today, it would be uh, a huge indie hit, probably. But back then, it was all about gangsters, East versus West, being hard. And if you're rapping about aliens, you weren't gonna get radio time. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it... I think it's a valid complaint because a lot of what hip-hop was about and what it got started about was, this is our life. This is how we live. And so you're trying to come into our space and into our genre and rap about this stuff that just doesn't connect specifically with anything that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, it's like if if Dell released 3030 back then, the same thing would happen. It's one of those things where the the genre is being established 
on the idea that this is us talking about where we come from and who we are. And you're mm. definitely not an alien, so why are you talking about this <laughs> stuff? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you don't know. Well, yeah, no, actually, I th- I'm pretty sure <laughs> Andre's know... religion is built into the idea that he is, in fact, an alien or a descendant of. Uh, exactly, I'm a little yeah. We, we, we can't make any judgments on that, uh, personally, but yes. uh, the hip-hop community was saying no. <laughs> no, thank you, we don't want to hear that. Um, which is unfortunate, because that album is also amazing. That's another thing I haven't fully absorbed, because there's a lot of words on it. I haven't listened to it multiple, multiple times like I need to. <laughs> I have much more experience with Outkast's uh, post-Aquemini work, uh, Stankonia, Speaker Box, The Love Below. And Aquemini is where Outkast really became the incarnation of Outkast that we know. Two halves of a whole coming together, establishing what Outkast really is. And in fact, there's a line in the song, yeah, in the song Y'all Scared, Big Boy says, uh, even though we got two albums, this one feel like the beginning. And that really spoke to me about Outkast. And they dropped lines like, uh, you're only as funky as your last cut. So it's like, you can't, you know, make one thing and have that be you. You have to keep reinventing and keep reinvigorating your work. And uh, yeah. And I think that's really what Aquemini is. Yeah, yeah. The whole album is about the synergy between the two artists working together and the fact that they keep each other going in their work. Yeah. They're always pushing each other to figure out what the next step is. And yes. they don't... It's not one of them leading the other or one of them carrying the other. If either one of them weren't here, the work would fall apart. Exactly. It wouldn't be outcast anymore. Which is interesting because later on they did uh, their double album, Speaker Box and Love Below, which was basically an Andre album and a Big Boy album. But that was kind of like, they've already done so much together that like they needed a chance to explore their their own creativity on their own after since they had already done all this stuff. We're not talking about that album, though. We're talking about Aquemini. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's get into Aquemini because there's a lot to digest here. Yes, for sure. We kind of got into the whole concept of the album. It's the two working together, and the track that definitely accentuates this is the title track. Aquamai. The title track, exactly. They talk about in the hook of that song, you know, uh, nothing is certain, nothing lasts forever, but until they close the curtain, it's him and I, Aquemini. And I thought that was really beautiful. <laughs> it, it's lovely because the, the name of the album and the word Aquemini is a fusion of their two zodiac signs, Aquarius and Gemini. And that that's that's a very outcast thing, too. Like, you can hear the, the sound of the title and know, like, that's outcast, you know? Like, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, Stankonia, AT Aliens, you know, it's always something like that. <laughs> and there's a few even tracks off of this album that follow the same thing like Aquemini is definitely up there but there's also Spodioti Dopalicious yep Chonky <laughs> I was Fire. Say that. Chonky, Chonky Fire, Fire. Is, I, I love that track name so much yeah <laughs> I don't even know what it means but it's such a great track <laughs> it sounds it's like thick fire yeah, and yeah it, it's, like, it's like solid and it has this weight to it, but it's also got this energy, and it's all right there. It's like it's like a good salsa. Yes, and that is Outcast. Outcast yeah. is like a thick, good, homemade salsa. Yeah. You know, your 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 sweet Southern grandma sent it to you when you visited her on vacation, uh, <laughs> and it's it's uh, the best thing you've ever tasted. And maybe you share some of it with your friends, and you're like, check out this salsa. It's like the best fucking salsa i've ever tasted like you gotta try it 
And maybe if they're not into that kind of thing, they'll be like, oh, that was okay. But you're like, no, man, you don't understand. You don't know. You don't know salsa like (laughs) I do. And that's really what Outcast feels like. It's so personal and like homemade, you know, southern fried. It's it's even like a mango salsa, if if I'm going to stretch this metaphor out way too long. Okay. Because people hear mango salsa and they're like, what? What are you yeah, doing? Like, what? What are you Gross. doing putting like, fruit in salsa? And then you try it and it's like, yeah, ah, no. oh, okay. All okay, right. Yeah. I can kind of get into this. And then the more you eat it, like the better it gets. And the more you listen to Outkast, the more you pick up. Like you keep hearing new lines that you didn't notice before. And like, you're like, damn, that beat was like even better than the last time I heard it. It's like damn, now that, that I noticed salsa. this bit, now I know this bit is over here. And now they synthesize even better. And it's like, ah, oh, you just keep finding stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh man, there's cumin in this. <laughs> damn grandma damn uh <laughs> now it's, what's interesting about it though is that there's there's the theme of synergy but mm-hmm. the first the opening tracks of this are kind of andre picking himself up and then big boy standing back and saying yeah yes he's here mm-hmm. because yeah the thing that at aliens did was people were like okay big boy you're still rapping like we expect you to what is what is going on with andre yeah yeah uh there's that line in return of the g like uh is he on drugs is he in a cult is he gay but he's like no i'm andre <laughs> right <laughs> you know? it's, i'm ju- i'm just me i'm doing this artistically and i'm doing it the way that i want to and yeah. the, the opening track is uh it's a hook from a song that one of their producers had and right. they borrowed it and they they didn't want any of the verses but they wanted the hook and it's hold on be strong right yeah. it's like a mantra and it's just hold on, be strong. It's like an yeah. inhale and then an exhale. And it really it sounds like they're just gearing themselves up and relaxing a little bit before they do something mm-hmm. that's like it's not they they want to be finally honed for what they have to say coming up. Yeah, and it was so it's it's so symbolic of uh, all the 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 flack they were getting for AT aliens and because mm-hmm. like back then like to be so flagrantly individualistic in hip hop was basically a crime like mm-hmm. killing your career <laughs> and and there's also like uh they make reference to that like a lot and there's a there's an audio clip of andre accepting an award for best new artist on the last track chonky fire um and you hear him like accepting the award and the, the audience is just booing they're like boo you guys oh. you're fucking weird and, and they also make fun of that fact on the on the skits like on, on return of the g they're like at the record store remember and uh right right they're like the the record store owner he's like we got that new cast joint equimini and then he's like man first there was gangsters and then there was aliens or some shit man fuck that man right. <laughs> and i thought it's that like, was so funny they're, they, they're like uh, so self-aware they're like making fun of themselves about it yeah because the the whole that first opening track is really just about or not the opening track but the the second track after the yeah yeah track, return of the g return of the g is all about hey you still need to listen to us because we're still at the top of our game. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're not dropping off. And also, we could rap about the same stuff if you, we wanted to, and we'd yeah, kick your yeah. asses at it. <laughs> and and they, they really do, like, Andre's rap, or both of them, really, they rap on that track about how uh, they do, like, hard gangsta stuff, you know, like, shooting people and stuff, because out of necessity, living in the ghetto, like, that's how you have to live like back then or i mean still in some places like in that lifestyle like we're not gangsta because it's cool you know like it's it's just survival yeah survival is what it is and there's a lot of themes of that kind of thing and a lot of hip-hop of that era but it kind of glorified it and i think on return of the g 
they made it a lot more real um, because he's talking about like defending his 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 girlfriend and his kid you know right and like defending everything he's worked for so yeah Re- return of the g is a brilliant brilliant song it, it's it's iconic it's a great beat that with the, with the horns and stuff and both halves of them, Andre and Big Boy, are doing exactly what they need to be in this song. Andre going full force, just, this is what I can do, this is everything that I have, you're going to get all of it. And then Big Boy picks it up at the end and is like, okay, I'm going to do exactly what I do on all of these songs, but it's going to be on a on a different scale. Because Big Boy grounds the stuff. But Andre's already rapping about the same kind of stuff that Big Boy would rap about. So instead of changing up the subject matter or changing up that sort of the style of it, it's, okay, now I'm going to bring you back down. Andre's gotten everything he needs to say out. I'm still good. I'm still quick. But I'm going <laughs> to drop it back down and say, okay, now we can start the album. Now that we've yeah, gotten yeah. that out of the way, let's let's get into this. Yeah. And 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 Big Boy definitely shows a lot more of a traditional hip hop vibe. And and even later on, uh the seventh track Slump doesn't even have Andre on it because that was right after Aquemini and Synthesizer, which are very individualistic kind of unique outcast tunes, uh, especially Synthesizer. It was very Andre uh, and George Clinton. Yeah, super high concept with that one. Yeah, and and I should talk about George Clinton too. That that feature is really interesting because Andre 3000 is like the George Clinton of hip-hop. So individualistic, unique, and out there that he didn't get taken seriously by a lot of people and he had to really work for respect. And they're both like super weirdos. They're awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, weirdos in the best possible way. <laughs> so, so they had to follow up the track Synthesizer and it's, this makes a lot of sense with Slump which is a very gangsta, just hard song with... Uh, doesn't have Andre on it. It's just Big Boy and... Uh, backbone and cool breeze from the dungeon family who are all you know hard gangster rappers and that that song had like the that hook that's kind of like a gangster like sing-along thing but they're rapping about you know slinging the dirty dirty and yelling hootie who when they see cops which hootie who is a thing from southern playlist that cadillac music catchphrase they kind of invented you basically yell hootie who when cops are nearby to alert your gang and then after that song there's west savannah which is actually a big boy solo and he kind of does this like kind of chill smooth gangster kind of feel on it that has a very good beat that i love and this one was originally recorded for their first album yeah that's yeah it was for southern playlist the cadillac music which makes a lot of sense when you listen to it it would fit in very well on there but it does have the production from aquemini which is amazing we should talk about the production on this album yes let's (laughs) let's go into that because the production is out of this world yeah it's crazy like their first two albums had good beats like don't get me wrong but uh on this album aquemini they really brought out a lot of live instrumentation live drums guitars and everything they just blew the roof off of the hip-hop community basically with that because like there had been people like Dr. Dre who had uh, he would take samples and uh, have a like a, a session band re-record those samples and he would use the live instrumentation for that, but it's still like samples. But like on this album, they would actually have a, a band in the studio playing their beats for them sometimes. And there's also like a an interesting mix of samples and live instruments that makes it feel really like diverse and just really. It just feels really good. There's a lot of different layers that they're playing on, and they can choose to to lean on either live instrumentation or the samples to change up the tone and change up the feel of the track. You got songs like Synthesizer, which have George Clinton's bass synth, which is very uh, 
signature of him and that's really cool to hear and then like on the i i think like slump and west savannah were mostly like sample based um which kind of harkens back to southern playlist of cadillac music which i'm never getting tired of saying that title by the way <laughs> it's uh, i'm i'm really impressed that you're able to nail it every single time so far you haven't had to like i haven't had to cut anything out of this it's just southern playlist of cadillac music yeah <laughs> that's it okay now that i've said it and it's been really quick that's actually I'm going to brief take a tangent because it's not on our list, but I want to talk about it because that just saying the word and saying the title of the album, because it's all one word, it looks complex and it looks like you're going to stumble over it, but it flows. So like when you get it down, you have Yeah, and like, and like this word was made up by a rapper, right? <laughs> it's built for saying it real fast a bunch of times. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, because that's, that's very emblematic of their music, which is... I can really get into this, and then the layers of it, it like, if you can pick it apart for days. They, so, uh, their, their flows on this album, and, and actually just Outkast flows in general, both Andre and Big Boy, um, they, they use this technique, this rhythmic technique, I don't know how, how versed you are in this, they use a lot of triplets. Okay, so, so say the beat is like, one, two, three, four, they're rapping like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know? like three three divisions in that one beat and they'll do it even faster to be like you know like i fuck i can't fucking but <laughs> um so that's and that's a that's like a really really technical rhythmic technique that isn't employed by a lot of rappers nowadays it was really big in the 80s and 90s it's it's very much a, a signature of golden age hip-hop which outcast is post golden age and they kept that going and i think that's actually kind of a, a southern thing and it's really cool to hear because it's so technical. And I feel like it, it, listening to the, like Southern playlist of Cadillac music, like they use that a lot, <laughs> and like it makes it really like dense and like really kind of hard to dig into. I just want a brief tangent about flow there. Because uh, it's so relevant to the way that this album. Oh yeah, works. yeah. Because pretty much every song employs that. One of the things that stood out to me for some of the early to mid tracks on the album uh the hooks are just they got so ingrained in my head especially tracks three and four rosa parks and skew it on the barbie not not return of the g gangsta oh, well, yeah, return of the g. yes Ooh. yes that that one did get stuck because it, <laughs> it was really cool because it was taking away it, you stepped away from the rap and then you had these beautiful harmonies too yeah it's like soul there's there's a lot of soul influence on this album yeah and i think that's really emblematic of it being from the south you have a lot more soul influences especially with CeeLo singing on some of these tracks yeah oh my god <laughs> so good yeah the i think one of the big ones where i picked out for southern like really figuring out the southern influence though was i think it was skew it on the barbie because they have like a guitar break they have like an acoustic guitar break in there with, with the harmonica yeah and it's like, oh, this sounds, this, like, this is southern folk and southern rock all just woven into this. And if I recall, that was uh, a reverend from their hometown. Uh, yes. It was, like, a, a friend of their stepfather or something. Yeah, and they just had him come and play harmonica on their... And he's, like, he's like stomping on the floor and, like, yeah. so good, so good. No, that that was in Rosa Parks, yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I, I, I had yeah. to think for a second. Yeah, that was in Rosa Parks, which... That's probably, like, the most fun, like, bouncy song on the album. Very, very fun hook. Hush that fuss, everybody move to the back of the bus. <laughs> it <laughs> so sounds good. so good. And it's, it gives you a very distinct feeling to it as well. 
Oh yeah, uh, very outcast. Like that's especially the kind of thing they would go on to do later. Fun like party raps, uh, while still keeping the lyrics real. That's what I really like. Cause like you know I like a good party rap, but Outcast always kept it so so grounded and so real. You know, other than when yeah, they're talking yeah. about aliens, and, and even then <laughs> that can be like a metaphor. You know, for what's actually going on, like. Like, the name of the group is so fitting when you think about it. Because they really were outcasts of, of the, the hip-hop genre for a while. Yeah, and you get this feeling that they were always... If you want to get, like, emotional about it, they, they do feel like they've always kind of been outcasts. Yeah. Because they formed the group when they were in high school, and they were at, like, an artsy magnet high school when they, when they built their group. And it's one of those things where it's like, you don't find another person and hold on to them this tightly in an art school unless, like... They, they really are the one person that gets where you're coming from and is willing to, to, to work with you and listen to you and what you have to give. For sure, for sure. And, and that really is the core of Outkast to me. So, so at the end of Rosa Parks, there's a skit with Raekwon from Wu-Tang Clan. And I also have to say real quick, people complain a lot about skits on hip-hop albums, especially of this era, because it's like, I just want to hear the music, right? Outkast had the consideration and forethought to put all the skits at the end of the tracks instead of at the beginnings. Yes. So you can easily yes. skip them if you want to. And even later on Stankonia, they would even put them on separate tracks entirely, which is even better, to be honest, because then you can just take them out of your playlist if you want to. I did appreciate, though, that all the skits really felt... They didn't necessarily feel, like, required for the album, mm-hmm. but they gave a little bit more oomph to some of the tracks that you get. Yeah, there's some more character... Um, some of them are really interesting too. Like, I mean, the one with Raekwon that I'm talking about. Uh, so, so Raekwon from Wu Tang Clan. He's an East Coast rapper. This was, you know, during or I guess in the aftermath of sort of the East versus West uh, hip hop wars. And they're talking about how they're breaking down boundaries. You know, Outkast is a Southern group, but more than that, they're a hip hop group. And Raekwon can kind of relate to that as being part of Wu Tang Clan. They both broke down boundaries, they both broke ground. And then Raekwon is featured on the next track, which is really interesting because basically all the other features on this album are Southern rappers, mostly from the Dungeon family. I, I believe Raekwon is the only one other than uh, Erica Badu, who was dating Andre at the time. Yeah, and the, I think the only reason that they got him on here was he was in the area, and they either called him up or found him or ran into him somewhere and like, it's you? Come rap with us. And he was like, all right, sure. Yeah, he's like, that's tight. Like, and that's the great thing about all those Wu-Tang guys. Like, people would just ask him to be on their track, and if they thought they were dope, they, they would just be like, sure. Because, like, Raekwon, and, Raekwon was a big fan of Outkast. Outkast was a big fan of Raekwon and Wu-Tang Clan. And that really shows, like, people can have respect for each other regardless of where they're from. They're all doing art. There's there's very much a love on this album for what hip-hop is. And when in trying to prove themselves or in trying to justify themselves in the genre they don't do it at the expense of anybody else it's never about how other people are rapping or what they choose to rap about it's when i rap about this people respond this way when i rap about this other thing they respond in a very different way it's never nobody else is qualified to be here it's just this is what i have this is what i want to give you try and give me that space to give it and i think that's incredible that's that's such a great message to build around and then infuse it with the message of we're going to do this together no matter what. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's talk about Synthesizer a little bit. Sure, sure. So Synthesizer features George Clinton, noted weirdo, uh, kindred spirit of Andre <laughs> 3000. 
And on this song, I, I really like the funky kind of part P-Funk bass going on, presumably played by George Clinton. Uh, and George Clinton's singing adds so much to it. He's so great. His like weird spoken word verse where he's talking about like a, a psycholobotomy, a brain fucked in the whatever. I forget what he says, but <laughs> he's like saying weird so shit good. like that. It's really good. Um, but th- I think we both were talking about, we have a gripe with this track. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> hold up too, too well in comparison because... It's a it's, bit dated. <laughs> yeah, it's not anti-technology, but it's one of those, ooh, technology is going to take us over. And now living in the century that we're in, it's like, yeah, we're kind of cool with that. In the, yeah, in the context of 1998, um, the internet was first becoming a thing. Uh, people were worried about becoming over-reliant on technology. But it kind of comes off as a bit you know anti-progress maybe uh definitely scared scared yeah yeah this is the kind of thing where back then the technology was completely unknown we weren't sure what we were going to have in the next five years Mm -hmm. and it could have been anywhere from you know smaller cell phones to something that can build a human in a test tube yeah you'll synthesize a man yeah (laughs) Oh, God, I, that line funny. makes me cringe at the end of the damn song. Like, <laughs> It's a little bit Fear of the Unknown, and it's not a bad idea to rap about. And it, it was, in, ter- in terms of stuff to rap about, this was still pretty adventurous. Yeah, definitely. It was like, wow, I can't believe you're tackling these kinds of concepts. But it doesn't hold up when we see the results is more like, hey, globalization's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, like, it's, it's benefited quite a lot of people. I will say that the line virtual reality, virtual bullshit has held up exceedingly well. I love that. Oh, I do like that a lot. So good. And basically everything George Clinton says in the whole track is amazing. Yeah, yeah. The the hook of, um, says she'd lap dance on your laptop while your laptop's in your lap. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get what it's coming from. Where it's like internet relationships and dealings with people aren't real. And it's like, well, I don't agree with that, but it feel it sounds really good like it's got a good flow to it yeah and like people you know people said oh the internet is gonna eradicate personal contact but in like the 1800s people said the same thing about writing letters and like telephones telephones like the telegram no one's gonna see anybody basically every communication innovation ever (laughs) yeah so no if anything it's given me more personal interaction you and i met on the internet yeah if we'll we'll inject a little personal anecdote into this exactly you you and i 27 met on the internet and have started up a now nigh on 10 year friendship yeah just about i think yeah and that's that's awesome and so to see stuff like this where it's like what is technology gonna do and then be there actually like 20 years later and say it's uh, pretty good (laughs) yeah it's it's nice cool with it (laughs) i like it we got fewer people dying. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's totally totally cool. It's an okay track. Probably my second least favorite. What what is your what's your least favorite? Uh, Mamacita. Yep, there we go. I knew it. So I that one. Oh my god, the hook on that one is just a little bit. Mamacita. Papa Donna. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Um, the beat on this one is okay. It's not a standout. It's it's kind of there. It's like, I, I feel like there were just parts of it that you needed to really hook in and get me, and they did not do that. Yeah. Uh, and I will say it's always good to hear a female MC, Masada. Yeah, definitely. She did, she did a great job, Masada, in the first verse. I like that yeah, a lot. she's pretty good. Andre's verse on this is a little bit it's in shaky. some ways. Yeah, it's not um, slapping. Yeah, it's overall. I'm not a big fan of slapping. Maybe should have been a B-side <laughs> or cut. Uh, it, it has something going for it. 
<laughs> it's just kind of uh, maybe skip, you know? Yeah, thing that we did skip and we need to go back to, though, is the artist tel- storytelling. We have some very strong tracks before that. Parts one and two. Yes. Uh, oh, man, these are these are knockouts. Oh, yeah. A standout line from the artist storytelling that I think should tell you all you need to know about it. She was fine as fuck. I wanted to sex the hoe up. She said, let's hit the parking lot so I can sick your duck. <laughs> I heard that, and I missed, like, the next two lines, and I was just like, wait <laughs> just a fucking minute. Reeling. <laughs> Did you just say sick your duck? I love that kind of thing where like they mix it up and you're like, wait, right. hold on and a second. You, you got to take a second to process it and then you're like, <laughs> okay, all right, good job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the beat on this one's really bouncy and fun. And the hook uh, is really fun too. Um, they're talking about like the art of story rap now. And it's really like celebratory of hip hop. Because a lot of rap back then would be just literally the whole lyrics, the lyrical content would just tell a story. Andre's talking about how he's, you know, was, it was Big Boy in the first verse, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just talking about, you know, he's picking off this chick. Uh, and, like, he doesn't care what anyone says about her. Like, he likes her and he's going to bang her. Right? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. he calls her uh, Susie Screw because she's screwed a lot. And in the second verse, it gets a bit more real. This is actually really funny. It's a kind of inversion because Big Boy starts off, talks about banging a chick named Susie Screw, and suddenly you're like, all right, well, this is fiction now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Andre has to bring it back down. Yeah. And and gives more the the real and like, hey, this is the emotional, this is the the grounded side of it. And so it's it's actually really funny that they sort of flip on this one. Yeah, yeah. That that is interesting for sure. I love that kind of thing. They kind of and that's you know, Outcast is always about subverting your expectation like that. Uh, so the art of storytelling part two is high contrast to that first part. Uh, it has like a really heavy beat so hard and like the vocals are distorted super intense just really it's like he's rapping through a megaphone almost and and he's like yelling about like the apocalypse basically like it's crazy and there's a lot to dig into here that i didn't quite get all the way to the bottom of but there's a lot there to look at and it's so interesting yeah it weaves in some of the stuff from at aliens but still keeps it in the more grounded side of things, Andre doesn't get as more explicit with his sci-fi stuff, and he does keep it about him and his family. Uh, and then Big Boy plays into the more high concept and the the weirder stuff by it's all a it's still about the apocalypse when he gets into his verse. We're not gonna go too in depth about it because we could be here all day. Hearing the track itself is the best way to get even a a glimmer of a feel for this sort of thing. Definitely, and and if you guys couldn't tell already we highly recommend this album <laughs> it's at the bottom of the list but you know and it's still great yeah like <laughs> 500 albums in the scope of all the music ever recorded is not a lot so this is a pretty select you know pretty choice selection right here <laughs> so let's talk spody Odie dopalicious oh let's do <laughs> please <laughs> I, I love that's just right out there it's like boom there you go yeah it's it. like this nice funky like chill ass beat with like, like the trumpets come in and they play this hook, uh, and it, and like I thought it was actually kind of humorous that that trumpet hook because it's so long. Like you think <laughs> it's over and they play it again, and I'm like, oh okay, cool, we're we're doing this, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be funny, but but then they start doing this spoken word thing that's so tight. As far as content, it's not very relatable to me because. I don't ever go to the club ever and would never probably. Um, but Andre's <laughs> yeah. describing this club setting in kind of a celebratory way. And then the second verse is what I really find appealing uh, when Big Boy is doing his spoken word. He he actually described it 
he, he calls it smoking word. Oh, that's the best. Yeah, and like that's so good. When you listen to him talk, it's like, yeah, that's what this is. This is smoking word. <laughs> uh, like I don't even it just winds its way around. <laughs> I don't even remember like anything in particular about the subject matter. He, it's so smooth, so good to listen to. <laughs> it's perfect. Dripping with metaphor, and it's all it's it's like. It's metaphors is like, this is outrageous, and I can't believe you use these words to choose, but I have the perfect picture in my mind now. She calls her a horse with skates on to describe the way that she moves. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Uh, that's a super good track. Definitely a standout, which is interesting that a standout on a rap album has no rapping on it. <laughs> So after that, we got Y'all Scared, and this is what we call a posse track, because it features every member of Goody Mob except for CeeLo and both of the Outcast boys. First verse is by Timo of Goody Mob. That was a very good verse. Like, I, I really actually want to get into Goody Mob after hearing this. Uh, the second verse um, was by Big Gip. I think it's Gip. It might be Jip. I don't know. Uh, it wasn't as good. You know, they can't all be singers, whatever. It's kind of like slow. I think his thing is like he's like the slow rapper, you know? He's like the chill guy. And then Andre comes in and he's talking about like uh, drugs being introduced into like minorities and stuff and like how white people were scared to talk about it until it happened to them. And like it's so yeah, real. Because like the first two are just all about themselves and like, hey, I'm talking about me because that's what we do on this. And then Andre comes in and is like, let's talk about real things. And you're like, oh, okay, Andre. <laughs> yeah. And Let's that was super good. That that That's definitely a big, big standout verse on this album for me. And then Big Boy goes in, and he's talking about Outkast again. He talks about how they've already put out two albums, and this one feels like the beginning. After that is Cujo. I don't remember what he talked about, but it was hot. <laughs> yeah, it, clo- it closed really well. That was a good-ass verse. Thank you, Cujo. Sorry I didn't remember your lyrics. Thanks, Cujo. If, if you're listening, thank you, Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this album is so dense, there's going to be stuff we can't get to. We talked a lot more about the first half of the album because it's got a lot more that... It's a lot more digestible. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot more places where you're like, okay, I heard this a lot, and it really got me into it. And then the rest of it is a little bit more, okay, we need to break this down and let everybody have their peace, and then you can get the feel of the track as a whole, but in order to really, really get each of the verses, you got to listen to them a couple times. And we are pretty tight on time, so we're going to go through the last three tracks here and close out our thoughts. We have an interlude, Nathaniel. That one was very, very interesting. Right, because it's from their friend who's in jail at the time. Yeah, he literally placed the collect call from jail to record this rap, which is super, super tight. Like, holy shit. That's really cool. And his verse was on point, too. Like, the acapella, it was so good, like... Hearing it with, like, the distortion from the phone. He's in jail. He's living the experience they're talking about on this album. Uh, which leads into Liberation, which is just this eight-minute-long soul jazz masterpiece, in my opinion, with, like, CeeLo singing over it. It's got, like, this nice, like, smooth, like, Latin percussion. Uh, Eric Badu sings a verse. That's pretty good. Not my favorite. I do want to get into more... Erica Badu, she seems awesome. It's always good to hear, you know, women in, in hip-hop, though. Also, fun fact, she's apparently the the inspiration for the song Miss Jackson on their next album. And Stankonia is Stankonia on the list. Stankonia is yeah. further on the list. It is at number 361. We'll get to it someday. I can't wait for that. I definitely recommend listening to it before then, because that's going to be another super dense one. Oh, and then uh, Big Rube from the Dungeon Family 
um, has a feature on this where he does his own like spoken word kind of thing. It's like really smooth and like poetic and stuff. That was really good. And after that, the all the vocals cut out and it's just the band jamming like it's the end of the goddamn world. It's crazy. Like the drummer goes nuts and like everyone's jamming. The bass is going crazy. Definitely a standout. I mean, this album can be kind of daunting, like a lot of Outkast albums, and this is definitely why, but it also shows that it's definitely worth it to get into it and dive in, dig through it. So the last track is uh, Chonky Fire, which we've already described as a, just a great word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I would describe this track as epic in the most literal sense. It has these like searing guitar riffs, and those would show up later in Stankonia too as a big... Uh, element which is awesome it really reminds me of the song gasoline dreams from stankonia uh and it's got these like dramatic strings and it just makes it feel so big and 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 when big boy comes in on this track the beat drops like i I mean not like drop the beat but (laughs) the beat stops and it's just piano and big boy is dropping this like real ass verse and it's oh my god so good i wish i made more notes about what he was talking about but one of my favorite tracks it starts off by talking about how it's the track's job to get somebody to bob their head, but he's still going all out with his words. Yeah. To deliver that basically, if the track dropped out, which it did, yeah, <laughs> he could still keep you going and give him basically give you the beat back, and that's incredible because they just do it. Yeah, they do it. They do it and they make it work. It's amazing. Uh. So then the, as the instrumental keeps going on, uh, Andre does the, the award acceptance and the audience boos him because of AT Aliens. They're like, boo, no, Outkast sucks. Uh, <laughs> and he says a line, uh, the, the South got something to say, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, because it's like the South wa- wasn't really considered a force in hip-hop. It was East and West. So he's like, you know, we're here too. This is us making our stand. And it's really impressive that the the first move that the South makes, basically through Outkast, isn't, all right, everybody else sucks, the South is the real hip-hop. It's, hey, we're here. Yeah. We're here. Listen to us. See for yourself. Yeah, and, and for sure, like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be saying East or West sucks because they're all about breaking down borders, and, you know, they collaborated with Raekwon on this. Yeah, so really good. Closing thoughts... Oh, wait, there was also a skit at the end of that track. That was kind of funny. There was an album that they bought earlier in an earlier skit. Yeah, the Pimp Trick Gangsta Click album. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because they they did that just as like a parody of the current groups that were out. Yeah. And I I love the note that uh, I found on Genius that was CeeLo and Andre and a couple other people were like, we should just make a group called the Pimp Trick Gangsta Click. Yeah, they did. They did. And they recorded and stuff And they recorded some it. stuff and they didn't They didn't put it out. Yeah, I really wish they did. That, like, I bet it was like a complete joke. So this they, the skit at the very end is they return the CD and they say it doesn't work right. Right. They want they want a refund <laughs> instead of a, a replacement. And, they, and like they're trying to like scam him or whatever. And he goes, I'm a lucky win you. And that's how it ends. It ends with that echoing. Like <laughs> The album as a whole knows exactly what it's about and delivers on that so, so well. Outcasts making a stand, doing their thing, making it happen. And uh, proving that they could do everything that anybody was asking of them, but then yeah. leading into, but we don't want to just do what you want from us. We want to do what is indicative of our art and what we want to say. They fulfill both of these. They didn't have to make an album that was just, okay, we can do gangster rap. Yeah. They did a track 
that encompassed all of that and then said, all right, now you know. Yep, we did return the G. We're gangsters. Yeah. We're still hard. Now here's our thing. Now now we're going to go back to being outcast. Like, you have to take us seriously. Okay, all right, we do. Super good album. Uh, not even my favorite outcast album, which is crazy, given all this praise. <laughs> so that should tell you a lot. Yeah, this, this definitely sold me on the idea of Southern rap because I got a very clear picture of what that was, and I knew that I liked it a lot just based on what I got out of this album. I think after we review each album, we'll give a couple of recommendations that we might know. Um, if you like this... Definitely listen to Killer Mike rap music. That's R-A-P, like as an acronym, music. Amazing Southern rap album. It's a lot more modern. It's from 2011, I think. Amazing. Killer Mike was an affiliate of the Dungeon Crew. Super good Southern country fried rap. So uh, after this short break, we'll be back talking about B.B. King's Live in Cook County Jail. Stay tuned. Hey guys, just taking the intermission to let you know that we now have a Twitter account for the podcast. It's Album Club 500. That's Album Club 500. Check it out for all the updates on the show and the music that we're listening to. Welcome back to the Album Club 500. It's still our first episode, but we're on to album number two now, and that is Live in Cook County Jail by the one and only B.B. King. Bubba King, yes, and I was pretty excited for this album because I never knew anything about B.B. King, really. I mean, I knew he was considered one of the best guitarists ever, but I've never really been into the blues of this style, so I didn't know. This catch-up for me as well, because I like the blues, and I don't know as much about B.B. King, like you said, but I am really into, like, Clapton. I This is embarrassing to say because it's probably the widest thing that I could say about what I like about the blues, but uh, Briefcase Full of Blues by the Blues Brothers... Is also a terrific blues album. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, and, and got me really into like, oh man, there are these standards and then you can play them a bunch of different ways. <laughs> but like, to, to actually have the, the real background of like B.B. King or anything like that is like, just missed me. So I was really glad to come and play catch up with this. Sure, yeah. My, my experience with the blues is like so limited, but oddly enough, what I do know is Delta blues from like the 40s and 50s. I was, like, way into Sun House, who I, I found out about him through, actually, the White Stripes, because they covered his uh, Death Letter, and I was like, yo, Death Letter, that is, like, tight. <laughs> also, I know some, like, Howlin' Wolf, uh, Muddy Waters. Um, but, yeah, my experience with blues, so limited. This is basically new to me. Uh, and B.B. King seems like a good place to start, because he's the man. Yeah, if you had to pick someone in the blues, this would be it. <laughs> He's apparently called one of the three kings of blues guitar, uh, along with Albert King, who we actually have an album of his coming up soon in the list, and uh, Freddie King, who I have never heard of. I have to assume that there's no relation between these? Yeah, no, these? They're, they just happen to all be named That's King. That's impressive. Anyway, live at Cook County Jail. Um, yeah, this is actually recorded at a jail. Yes, it's a live album from Cook County Jail. What you gotta understand is that this is during the 70s at a time mm -hmm. when class and race relations were not necessarily at an all-time low but they weren't great they were not great no yeah that, that's putting it very mildly and the album kicks off and oh really God. sells that point it's I so adore good or this intro because <laughs> it starts off with the the staff of the jail introducing bb king and his band but they do so immediately after an introduction of the sheriff Right, it was they the introduced sheriff. the sheriff, and everyone goes, "Boo!" Yes, this entire crowd in a jail just 
boo! <laughs> uh, and it's oh god, it felt amazing. So it was like, wow. Funny. <laughs> I am really impressed. Like you, you hear it, and you're like, "I am so glad that they kept this in because it just sells the atmosphere." You can do a live album, and you try and capture a little bit of the venue, but it's more about the performance. But to really get a feel for what kind of performance this is and what it's trying to be, you need the, to feel the venue for it. This this isn't like live at the Apollo or something. This is at Cook County Jail. The the cool thing about it is that. It's the heavy contrast, right? Mm-hmm. So for the the officials, the elected officials and the sheriff, the crowd is yelling. Ravenous. so <laughs> mad. Uh, and then they introduce B.B. King and there's... It's, it's not negative, but it's definitely like plateaus. It gets yeah, to a yeah. neutral point. And then he starts playing and then Dude. by by like maybe the first one, they're, they're nuts. Dude. They're going... They're saying this is the best. That fucking first like the real the first real song every day i have the blues the band just explodes right out of the gate they're they're going (laughs) fast they're playing fast bb king doesn't even he doesn't waste any time he just starts shredding basically like (laughs) it's oh my god it's crazy like i don't i don't think there's any example of a crowd turning positively that quickly in music (laughs) that first track or that first song uh, it's such a joy to listen to because they're playing so with so much intensity, and BB is just he's just going nuts on the guitar like he wastes no time getting right into it, and and it's like it's like immediate assuming there's not like a cut, it's like immediately after like she like the presenter like finishes like they just start like they just burst out of the gate. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a as I understand it, that's a pretty standard way to do blues shows uh, at. You start off and you finish off with a really big sort of quicker number because, and everything else in the middle has varying speeds. But yeah. you start off and you finish really, really strong. Yeah, definitely. And it it does wonders to get the crowd on their side. Which, admittedly, if there were any one person in that like probably county area that they would be happy to see, it'd probably be BB King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> because yeah, at this point, BB King was known very well he's had basically a decade and a half just about of of active uh recording right and they're not coming from a place of they're coming from a place of solidarity with him i guess because he's mm-hmm. he's playing this show almost as an act of charity yeah. uh, for the people in the jail and they know that he's there for that and they know that this isn't they, again he's not playing the apollo he's not playing a big set he's not doing this for he he came to them right he came to them, and they they love that. And you can hear that in the crowd's response to him. Yeah, for sure. And he, he's there with them almost the entire time. Not just for them, but really in it with them. He's not the big guy on stage. He's the guy who... He, he has, like, a conversation with them. Yeah, yeah, he really does. In the middle does. of a song. We, we should talk about the next track first. Uh, it, it flows right into How Blue Can You Get. And he slows it way down. They're, they're just playing, like, this, this solid slow blues jam and i think the answer to the question how blue can you get is none none more blue (laughs) he's like playing these like slow ass like soulful like painful riffs you know like and this this is where we get into the way that blues is a little bit different for performances than some more modern kinds of music what what you what you really get from modern music is we wrote this song we want to show you this song we're going to play this song 
And that's fine, and that's effective. Because the experience of being at a concert is very different than just playing the thing over your stereo. But for the blues, the construction of the song is simple and effective. And for a performance of a song for the blues, it's more about what you work with with the song. How you expand it, where you choose to draw it out and then fill in the gaps that you make with your own voice and your own instrumentation. And that's really where you get the sense that B.B. King is a master of his craft. Because he uses his entire body as an instrument for this. He plays the shit out of a guitar. (laughs) And his voice is so much more about instrumentation than it is just Mm -hmm. about communication. Yeah, he's wailing like... He's, like, screaming at times, like... Yeah, he goes from a a soulful, low, you know, jamming out blues voice to wailing, like, falsetto, but pitch perfect for some of the top notes. And it's like, oh, how do you do it, man? You're hearing, like, the reverberation straight out of his soul into his mouth out to your ears, like... Your eager, eager waiting ears. You're just like, ah, yes. You just sort of bask in it. It's like, I don't even I don't even care about what words he's saying. I just want to hear it, right? Like, Right. This is something that I'll probably bring up a couple different times, depending on the album. But there really is this sort of sliding scale. Or I guess it's, it's two scales, where it's instrumentation versus communication. Because there are some artists that really value instrumentation over the things that they're saying and there's other artists where i'm going to say this the same way every time but it's the lyrics that i'm really trying to sell and i think blues as i said is is a lot more on the instrumentation half of that definitely and and that's like the the whole concept of like a, a blues or a jazz standard you know it's like there's these compositions that someone has already established that everyone has their kind of interpretation of and i think some of these are on here are those standards but i'm pretty sure most of it is actually bb king originals uh because he he was such a pioneer in the genre i i mean i'm totally talking out my ass basically because i don't (laughs) know anything about blues but i get that i get that vibe you know yeah the thing about the blues is that the subject matter is relatively straightforward no matter what you do you can you can make your own compositions in it i'm sad right i there is something in my life that has gone terribly wrong yeah (laughs) and i'm gonna sit you down and tell you all about it exactly and that's fine. I mean, that works because there's a lot of variations on that and there's a lot of personal touches that you can add to that. It's not just, you know, my woman, she left me. It's this has all happened in a series of events or this is precisely how I feel and only I can express the, the way that I have it right now. Yeah, it's like it's it's about pouring your soul out in the form of music, really. God bless him. He does it. Yeah. <laughs> I also noticed the... Uh... The drumming was pretty standout on that How Blue Can You Get as well. Like, There's a lot of tasteful fills and, and just really technical stuff on there. Apparently the drummer is Sonny Freeman. Never heard of him, but he's tight. Glad to have heard of him now. Yes. There you go. <laughs> King does some, uh, you know, he does like that soloing stuff like in between singing and stuff. Like little, little notes here and there. And then he does this like back and forth thing with a... He's, he's doing a thing where... He, like, sings a line, and the trumpet, like, responds. Yeah. And that's super tight. But, yeah, I, I love that kind of thing. Like, like the instruments are having a conversation, uh, but it's it's King singing. There's a few things like that. He does that thing where 
the whole band like stops while he sings the line and then they they do a couple hits and uh, i believe that's called like stop time and it's a thing in like blues and jazz yeah and, and then at the end he like plays a crazy ass fucking solo that's awesome <laughs> yeah that, that that track was great like it this thing starts so strong uh which brings us to the next track worry 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 this is the longest track longer than the medley that's here this is nine nearly 10 minutes long yeah it's 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 like 10 minutes long uh because uh king goes on like a uh what would you even call it like he just starts ranting about like he starts giving like relationship advice. <laughs> yes, this is very uh, the closest thing that I could equate it to is a sermon. He he's very much preaching to the people at this point. Yeah, he's like discouraging domestic violence and stuff. Like, it, yeah, it's it's very weird because uh, this is this was kind of the only point where the album dated itself a little bit for me mm-hmm. because the the domestic uh, relationship advice was it was relatively good but it was also like super directionally sexist i guess uh i actually thought it was okay well because it was like okay women if your man lets you down give him a break once in a while and and check to see that he's doing all right men if you let your woman down promise not to do it again and it's like well he also says like to beg her for forgiveness and and stuff that's good yeah yeah It, it, it definitely wasn't bad it was just one of those things where it's like there's this is covering a good number of things, but there's, like, there's a clear role establishment that's being made here. Oh, sure, yeah. But what I, I like is, he, he does it from both sides, though, you know? Like, I like that, and I like that um, he does put a lot of emphasis on, like, don't hit your partner. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> you know? very good. He, that That's... <laughs> and he also, like, jokes around a little bit, too. He says, like... Like, when he apologizes, like, then I back up so I can duck when she swings, you know? Like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, no, but yeah. but seriously. <laughs> right, but actually, let's let's get to the point. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very cool because it's a very... I, I use the term sermon and preaching, but that it's really just more of how, like... He's just talking. Yeah, the, the language is still very casual, and it's like he's having a conversation with him. And he does. He says, and so fellas, and then waits to hear the response. Yeah. <laughs> and he's really bringing them into it, and... and getting down on their level it's not even getting down on their level it's bringing them back up yeah yeah because these people are imprisoned yeah he's like Let, let's be real for a minute like right and it's like people they'll have these kinds of conversations with each other but from people from the outside world most of that is just going to be the guards and the sheriffs and they're not going to treat them like people yeah and so for whatever time that he has with these guys here he's going to give them as much humanity as he can give mm-hmm. whether that's in the music or in the conversations that he chooses to have with them and that's incredible. That's that's just great showmanship and great personhood. That is really interesting, like, what the venue of the jail brings to that. Um, he is really showing them a lot of respect and, you know, trying to help them out. He treats them like any other audience, which is, I think, the best thing that he can do in this kind of a situation. What really stood out to me, um, other than all that, like, the talking we were talking about, like, before that, when he's still singing, um, he is wailing like a motherfucker yeah like it's crazy like i don't know what i was really expecting when i went into this but like it it exceeded that it exceeded my expectation absolutely he plays with the range so so strongly here yeah and the energy with every note that he sings out is just so powerful it's great yeah yeah he's a he has a very powerful presence Uh, which is funny because when he like when he's like 
done performing and he's just talking, he sounds like such a normal, like, bland person, you know? <laughs> he's like, I had a great time performing for you all. <laughs> and, I w- <laughs> and I would love to come back again if you would have me. <laughs> it's like, this is the yeah. same guy. <laughs> right, because it's just, as a person, he's very down to earth, but then as a performer, he, he gives it everything that he's got, and it's so cool to get both sides of that. Uh, and then we got track five, which is the medley of Three O'Clock Blues and Darling, You Know I Love You, which Darling, You Know I Love You is uh, a very old cut from 1952, way back in in the early bits of his catalog which he mentions he's like he's like we're gonna reach way back there and uh and it does sound old it it sounds like some some good old oldies like it sounds like something your grandpa would listen to (laughs) uh and it's really cool yeah and and three o'clock blues was good too it's kind of just like a you know kind of standard blues stuff (laughs) i can't remember which track does he introduce lucille in is that i think he does that in the last one actually yeah, yeah, in the last track he introduces Lucille, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I love that its name is Lucille. Her name yes. is Lucille. Uh, <laughs> oh, and, and and one last thing about uh, Darling, You Know I Love You is I love the ending of that song because it, the band drops out and it's just King uh, just playing like a little solo at the end. And uh, he holds, he like suspends the last note for so long that it's it's like you're like oh come on resolve it resolve it and then he like plays another lick and re- and suspends it again you're like oh man and then he finally like plays the final like the the root note and it's over and it's like yeah <laughs> it's like a big build up to to be in the crowd with that and just just humming with energy and and waiting for that to drop oh <laughs> it's it's almost tantric <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> He knew. He knew. B.B. King knows what you want. (laughs) So then we got Sweet Sixteen, which is not anything, like, super interesting. Like, (laughs) I thought it was probably the most forgettable track, but it was, you know, it's solid. Right. Even the most forgettable track on an album like this is still, like, B+. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if I listened to that just on its own, I'd be into it. But with the rest of the album, it's kind of a, it's not a standout, you know? It is blues. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. And that was the thing that I was a little bit worried about going into some of these albums because it's it's like, I don't know quite enough about this. And I feel like after a certain point, blue standards become blue standards. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be able to pick one from the other. But I don't know. He does, he, he does a really good job of making them all good yeah. enough at least. He, he injects like a lot of personality into them. Right, which is exactly what you have to do for songs like these. Mm-hmm. And it comes out great. Uh, so then we got The Thrill Is Gone, which is a kind of a change of pace. I think that's one of the more unique tracks on here. If you remember, it's like a, it's kind of like a minor, like, groove kind of thing. It, it's less, it's less like your typical, like, 12-bar blues. I really, really enjoyed the solo work on this one. Um, and he does, uh, he, with his guitar this time, he does a back and forth with the horn section. And, uh, like, that goes on for a while, and it's, like, really cool. And he starts doing, like, this palm-muted, like, percussive, like, with this guitar like along with the horns that was really cool uh and at the end they like they they start like slowing down and like it's like gradually getting slower and then they speed up again and get all fast (laughs) i'm like whoa dude like you guys are crazy like (laughs) that's fun stuff it's 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 really fun to listen to the thrill is gone uh which is funny because that injected new thrill into it 
<laughs> and right near the very end, I don't I don't know the the organization of this is a little bit weird, but it also feels right, I guess, because you've got a lot of energy build up and then, but it's almost over. I'm not sure. I mean, I think that's kind of a natural like uh, rising and falling action. Yeah, yeah, and then you want to end it with something that's a little bit more standard and a little bit more like, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's like a, it's a story. This album tells a lot. You know, the performance is a story, you know? Between the venue and the way that everything is constructed for the singular performance that he's giving here. So then that brings us to our final track, uh, Please Accept My Love, where he introduces his guitar. And then, really interesting on this track, and I, I love this so much, the way this starts. He, he like, introduces it, and then he starts singing, and then the band comes in. And I love that. Like, he, he sang, like, three words, and then the, like, as, like, pickup notes, and, and then the band came in after him. And this one was also kind of different. I don't know, there's something about his vocal style that's kind of different from all the other ones. Kind of, like, a little more traditional. I really liked it. I, I just don't, I don't have the words to describe it. Like, you really just have to listen to this album. Yeah, there's, there's an earthiness and a very familiarity... Even for something that we hadn't listened to, there, there's a familiarity and a comfort to it um, that we can't really express by relating it to you. You just sort of got to be in the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, we can kind of, like, we can talk about what happens, but really, it's it's an experience. <laughs> Which I think is great for a live album because, first off, I'm not a huge fan of live albums to begin with because they're mostly watered-down stuff of the it depends on the artist. Yeah, yes, absolutely. But in general, live albums are... They really have to be built for the performance. My One of my favorite live albums is actually a... It's like a live compilation album by Billy Joel called Songs in the Attic. Uh, what, it, what it has is it's a bunch of live tracks, but they're from different locations. And the locations that he took the tracks from were the ones that were best built for that particular song. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing because you've got Seeing the Lights Go Down on Broadway, which is this big sort of huge kind of number, and I think that one was from Madison Square Garden or some other giant venue. And then you've got She's Got Away, which is more of a, a quiet solo piano ballad, and that was done in a bar somewhere, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's like, oh, wow, you've really tailored each of these performances to the location. But, but then most live albums don't do that. What you end up with is... It's, we had a really good set at this one place, and we decided to get it recorded. But with something like Cook County Jail, you have a very distinct idea that it's not just we were here and we happen to have the mics running. It's we were here and everything about these tracks is tailored for this show. Yeah, I kind of got that idea too, especially because like it's it's a jail. Like They went there and, and had this unique performance. Uh, like, I don't know if that's a thing that really happens. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if if it did, it was probably on the back of something like this. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. Johnny Cash did a uh, an album in, in, for a jail as well, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I guess it's just if you tailor it correctly, it can go very, very well. And this is an example of that. Yeah, as far as my experience with live albums, you, you said um, you said a lot of the times it's like a watered-down version of the studio recordings, but my favorite live album is the exact opposite of that. It's Led Zeppelin, How the West Was Won. The thing about Led Zeppelin is you can't capture their intensity in the studio. And the live setting, like, How the West Was Won is like an explosion of sound that just 
doesn't occur in the studio like that energy's not there uh and i think it's way better than any of their studio albums honestly like it's crazy i i definitely have to check into that because i love led zepp and i haven't heard that one oh yeah so i gotta get into that yeah i can't wait to get some of their albums on the list uh it's quite a ways on but <laughs> and also at number 141 on our list we have another bb king album uh live at the regal which that's very far on from now but i'm excited to and get it also to that. sounds very different yeah. It sounds like a very different setting, so I'll be glad to compare and contrast those once we get to it. Yeah, that'll be very fun. Any last thoughts? Uh, do we have any wrecks on this one? Does Eric Burton and the Animals count? Sure. Are they quite blues? Because that, that, that's the first thing that I often think of when I go to blues, and then Briefcase Full of Blues is probably second. And it's also got... Uh, they've The thing about the Blues Brothers is that, yeah, they were comedy acts and pushed more by the by Dan Aykroyd and uh, John Belushi, but the team that they assembled to make that blues band was out of a bunch of just superstars mm. from other blues groups. Yeah. Uh, so the house band that they have for that is phenomenal, and they introduce all of them and give you their names, and you get to hear each of them have their own little standout moments on that album. So if you do like, if you get into the blues through this, the thing that I have to give you for that next step is Briefcase Full of Blues. And I'll say uh, Howlin' Wolf. Uh, I don't know his particular albums because I have a compilation, but Howlin' Wolf kind of gives me a similar feeling that B.B. King does. Uh, it's very soulful, like pour your heart out, painful blues. <laughs> so that's been the first episode of Album Club 500. Hope you liked it. Next week, we'll be doing The White Stripes, White Blood Cells, which I'm pretty fond of. And the Stone Roses self-titled album, album, which I don't really know anything about. Listen along with yeah, us. Yeah, these are both pretty new for me. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to listening to these. And we hope that you can give us some feedback mm-hmm. on what you liked about how we talked about these albums, what you thought about the albums in general. And you can find us, you can find me on Twitter as at Frogger, spelled P-H-R-A-W-G-E-R. And I'm on Twitter as 20 Sharamla, as in the number 20 spelled out, and then S-H-A-R-N-L-A. Yeah, so I hope you liked it. Uh, Listen to those two albums if you want to listen along with us, share your thoughts, and that'll be it. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll hope to see you at the end of the five minutes.